Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another bonus episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today we're going to be continuing with our Listen With Sam side series, where you, the listener, and I, the host, get to sit back and listen to Paul McCartney together. Listen With Sam is yet another little side series that we're doing on this podcast. Obviously, our main episode's going into the history and recording of each album, and then part two is normally a little song-by-song review, whereas here, with this format, I get to eschew all of that prep and simply indulge in the music with you, the listener. If you have heard my previous reviews on these songs, then great. We'll see if any of my opinions have changed. If not, please enjoy this episode and then go back and check out my original ones. Last episode we did McCartney slash McCartney 1 and that was just so much fun. It was great for me to go back and return to a semi-live shtick on this show and rather than just, you know, be so oh so critical of the music, I could just talk about it in a more of a conversational manner. And it's the greatest ever excuse to go back and revisit what I consider to be some of McCartney's prime material, even though we covered the albums all those years ago. Of course, I want to keep doing it. We're going to do it again right now. But the album that we're going to be doing it with, folks, holds a little more weight in the wider Macca discography. And when I say a little more weight... Of course, I mean a condensed Neutron Star's worth of weight because we will be covering what may still be my favourite post-Beatle release ever. 1971's Ram by Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. Of course, at the moment, I'm going to be recording all of these episodes in chronological order. It just makes the most sense in terms of going back and checking out the old episodes, but... If you would like me to listen to a particular album with you, maybe even one that we haven't yet covered on the show in an official episode, maybe one we have, maybe even one that's not by Paul McCartney, but it's Beatle-related or is related to the solo Beatles years, then please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hit me up with any Paul McCartney news or information, and in particular your Paul McCartney stories. Follow us on the Twitter as well, which is at McCartneyPod where recently Band on the Run was voted by you, the listeners, to be the best song that Wings ever made. Uh, No surprises there. Check out our blog as well, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. You can find loads of bonus articles there, stuff I couldn't quite fit on the show. And it's a great repository for places where I can just dump extra McCartney content. I've got to get it out my system. That's paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you are using. I would really appreciate that. That really gives us a boost in the rankings. And then finally, of course, check out our Patreon. We've got a couple of supporters now. I am so grateful for that. If you don't know what Patreon is, you probably do. You're listening to a podcast. It's a way for you to help support independent content creators like me, help keep the lights running, help get new equipment, fun different types of content for you. If you want to do that, if you're the type of person that would like to buy me a drink sometime, if you ever met me, then the best way that you can help contribute to the show in your own small way, even if it's just $1 a month, is on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash McCartneyPod, links down below, and all of that. Right, 
Oh, we can talk about RAM now. That's so good. I love RAM so much, guys. Like, you must know. You listen to this show now. You must know that. I've been looking forward to this particular episode. Oh, I mean, if you thought that I made excuses to, to talk about wing stuff, then you haven't seen anything yet because RAM is just my jam. If anyone ever mentions Makani or Beatles stuff or getting into post-Beatles stuff, then this is always the go-to album for me to recommend. Like, as I've always said, I know it's a little bit lame to think of Paul's second solo album to be his very, very best one, considering that he's released so much content since then. I mean, he released an album last year by the time of recording, Egypt Station, and that was fucking amazing. And he has indeed since released songs that are better than the songs on Ram, but has he released an album that is all around as consistent as Ram, as memorable as Ram, as full of creative inspiration and memorable moments as Ram? I would say no. Though when I called it the first Paul McCartney album, I wasn't really correct, was I? This is the first proper one, you know, at least the first one that was meant to be an album. You know, McCartney, McCartney one was just Paul messing around with with some sounds, a la Lennon's Two Virgins or Life with the Lions. And now with Ram, we have Paul free from the Beatles, full of a whirlwind of emotions, and now he's putting it all into an album. That's not to say that I consider this to be the first official, like, what we know today as a Paul McCartney album. I was recently talking with Ken Michaels, I think this chat appears in our Press to Play Part 2 chat. But we're talking about, you know, is Ram the first album? Is Tug of War the first album? Or indeed, is Press to Play the first album? Like, that's the first album where he didn't have George Martin or any of his old Beatles stuff. Like, was that the first official solo Paul McCartney album? It's an interesting conversation because Ram is so unique within the Paul McCartney discography. It's so rock focused. It's so experimental. It's full of raw emotion and passion and anger. There's so much anger on this album. And that is just so alluring for someone looking for something a little bit edgier in the Paul McCartney oeuvre. And as I've said before on this show as well, I like my Paul McCartney albums during a time of crisis in his life you know it sounds it sounds horrible and like I'm one of those awful Romans in the Colosseum like yes bleed for me McCartney bleed but you know Ram Band on the Run Tug of War these albums during great turmoil in his life where he's not able to contain his emotions outside of his songwriting and real life bleeds onto the onto the record those are the albums that I'm most drawn to. Those are the albums where the mask slips off and we get to see the real human Paul. And because of that, I just I get I get to connect with the albums more. They they get to resonate with me more on a human level, cliche as it sounds. And now I'm just looking at my copy of Ram. We're gonna be doing this on vinyl again, folks. We're gonna be syncing this up. Um, hopefully it'll work with you. I know for some people last time it didn't quite sync up the same way. I'm also going to be releasing non-audio versions of these, possibly on the YouTube channel, as a way for you to listen to these episodes in a different way and just put the albums on yourself and hopefully they'll sync up a little bit better. But anyway, I just want to listen to Ram now, guys. I just want to listen to Ram with you and talk about it. So let's do it. I hope you've got your copies of Ram lined up. Let's ram on, shall we? Let me grab my needle. And we are off, folks, with too many people. We're finally listening to Ram. 
and we have that instantly evocative down the rabbit hole feel here with Paul introducing us to this wonderfully weird world of Ram. And whilst you may think that this title is Macca's bucolic statement on overpopulation, instead what we have is another classic Paul McCartney thesis statement at the start of the album. And where do we find Paul in May of 1971? Well, we find Paul in a place where the first thing he wants to tell us about is all these shitty fucking people in the world, you know, the people that really piss him off. And not only that, there's too bloody many of them! And it is with this declarative statement that I'm almost entirely sold on the album, at least subconsciously. Right, I know Silly Love Songs is always the song that he cited for McCartney addressing his critics, but this is Paul vending his frustrations in a far more relatable manner i.e. through a massive rant, and I love that. This is confrontational, this is aggressive, and this is, as is all great Macca media, distinctly very un McCartney. The prospect of Paul screaming about what annoys him for four minutes is just so appealing to me. And with all this raw passion on display here, along with the fact that this is so ambitiously produced and such a fully realised song, we can tell that Paul is going to have a whole lot to say across this album and that it's all going to sound really good. I know we're already on the first song of the album and I know that I've listened to all of this music free of any contemporary environmental influences like post-Beatlemania but I've always struggled to empathise with why people didn't like this album when it came out back in the day. I mean, were you around in 1971 when this came out? Do you actually know anyone who was around when Ram came out and didn't like it? All the literature says that no one liked Ram when it came out, but I'd love to question any of you on this heresy. I guess this is the best time I'm supposed to bring up Humor Kraken here, the guitarist, who's absolutely tearing up the record with his presence here, you know? Paul's going to go through a lot of guitarists over the years, and so far in my personal journey, I've not met anyone that has matched Paul as well, stood so confidently alongside Paul as well as Humor Kraken does here. Again, very un-McCartney, but we have a decidedly strong guitar, electric guitar presence on this album. Of course, with help from Dave Spinoza too. And despite the fact that Paul's live show is one of the biggest rock acts going, rarely do we get whole albums, you know, that are this consistently heavy and guitar focused. When it comes to Lennon getting all worked up over this song as well, what I personally think that's going on is that 90% of the lyrics on this album are just kind of generic and vague and the majority of it isn't skewed towards any particular person and I find more likely whatever Lennon takes away negatively from this song is just an interpretation of his own personal foibles and flaws you know, no matter what he might feel guilty about he would 100% be able to find it and project it onto these lyrics oh this fade out is just so fucking ram isn't it like, this is so not McCartney one. If you had any worries, then Paul's just going to blister them away here. Oh, that's just so good. And we're going back down that rabbit hole again. Very stonery, very inviting. Oh, that bass is just so lush as well. I did promise not to sing along, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold out. 
And then, before we have any chance to recover, Paul continues to press the assault with three legs. And already, two songs in, we can see a world of difference from the last album we listened to, aka McCartney, McCartney 1. Here we've just got consistently high production. We have two songs in a row with a focus on electric guitar, on a heavier, more tonally consistent sound. And very shockingly indeed, we have two fast, energetic songs in a row to start the album. You know, this is Paul letting us know from the get-go that this is going to be the antithesis of McCartney 1, because he knows how people responded to that album, and he's going to give us what we wanted, and then some. What's so great about this song, and, and this part is a great example of that, is just the way it constantly flirts between this quirky, bouncy, bass little acoustic number into this very harsh, very jagged, very in-your-face, electrically shouty-infused song. And in essence, I guess that's what the whole album is. We've got the folksy Paul and the rocker Paul duking it out to make something we'll rarely, if ever, hear again. This is also the first time we get to hear the lovely Linda's backing vocals come to the forefront here, doing, you know, the thing that only she could ever deliver with that harmonious dissonance, that, that, that perfect imperfection that just sells the whole sound. Well, Paul's voice here, of course, is just, it's just something to behold, you know, he's letting us know that just because the Beatles are over, that, that the youth and the energy is still here, you know, he is giving us such a performance. This is also, rather democratically, the first song we hear Dave Spinoza on guitar as well, on lead guitar, and now we're pretty much in introduced to the whole band. And whilst I'll always go on about how much I wish Humor Kraken was in Wings 1.0, do not mistake me for a man who doesn't love and respect the work of Spinoza here, because he is Ram too, and he adds this very bluesy chugger-lug force to this song. Obviously this song was always going to inspire Beatle-based theories, as you know, any song would where Paul sang about three of anything. And it makes sense that he would front-load the album in this way, uh, you know, with the more obvious nods to John and the Beatles, as A, this was going to be the, the hook that would get people to listen to the rest of the album for more clues, if that's their thing, and B, it's the part of the album that Lennon would more likely listen to. Moving on now to the semi-titular song, Ram On, and I think it's safe to say that this is low-key, one of every McCartney fan's favourite little ditties. It just encapsulates the romantic innocence of this whole album. I mean, what's more Paul McCartney than a song where the lyrics are just ram on, give your heart to somebody soon, right away? As with The End in Abbey Road, his brevity of language is just perfect here, and it's all we would ever need. I mean, even if you're a little more peace and love about Ram, then maybe this is the thesis statement for the album. You know, maybe too many people and three legs were just opening comments and getting the bile out before Paul could start relaxing properly with this gorgeously simple little number. 
This is one of several songs on this album that just whisks you off to Scotland with the McCartneys in such an instantaneous fashion. You know, you are teleported to those rolling hills and open meadows. The, the McCartneys are on a horseback and it's all getting very John Constable and just how idyllic this whole countryside is. Paul's decision here to play the whole thing on this very ethereally mixed ukulele only adds to that sunny, nostalgic, almost dreamlike atmosphere featured in this song. Paul's voice here is another immediate selling point. Since you know we've just had these two throaty rockers, it's especially poignant and beautiful to listen to that divine falsetto he gives. For any of you listening to this out of order, you will know that in part two of our Press to Play review, Ken Michaels will, on multiple occasions, mention that I probably think too much. Uh, and whilst he's right in many cases, the phrase and the symbolism of the verb to ram on is just so fascinating for me. Like, what do we think of when we think of a ram people? Like, we think of a ram or ramming. We have the male sheep, famous for charging things. We have, we have a battering ram that knocks things down. And even though there is the obvious Paul Raymond Ramon connection, I think the language of ram here is entirely intentional as a defiant post-Beatles statement from McCartney. And pressing on with side one, we have Dear Boy, aka my favourite way to address any male younger than myself. This is the first song on this fucking album to actually be credited to both Paul and Linda McCartney. You know, this album supposedly by Paul and Linda McCartney. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, she's credited with six co-writes on this whole album. But, you know, since this song is about her ex-car sales husband, I can see why she would have a particular input on this one. Um, the upbeat nature of this track, though, despite the kind of maudlin lyricism, is basically counterpointed by the fact that Paul is writing this as the most spiteful thank you of all time. You know, he's thankful in this ballad. Um, he's, you know, he's writing a tribute to the stupidity of Linda's previous lover. And since approaching this song for a second time, I have noticed that the song is very much about change as well. You know, the to and fro of life. You know, McCartney's life here was going through all sorts of changes. And in many ways, I'm sure he's going back through his own life and thinking, wow, I can't believe I was there all those years ago. And now with Linda, I'm sure he's doing the exact same thing. And the result is this beautiful song. Actually, on a personal note, going back to coming back to this song in particular, uh, Dear Boy does actually resonate with me somewhat as I can remember similar words to the lyrics being spoken to me during a breakup, albeit in a more or less laissez-faire manner. You know, the whole, even when you fall in love, dear boy, it won't be as half as good as this, just like now. Like, for me, that highlights how relatable this song is and how far it goes into humanising McCartney. Like, I'm sure he didn't intend it to be this way, but in a similar vein to, to his ranting on too many people, I love the fact that we just get to hear Paul poking fun at his love rivals. It might be a little bit sneering, but I just love Paul indulging himself in the own metaness of his relationships. We're so sorry 
Then we come on to the penultimate track for side one, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, because it would not be a true Paul McCartney album without a song or two with two titles now, would it? Of course, this is Paul's magnum opus in terms of his ability to blend disparate tracks together and write multi-part songs. This is going to be him showing us that he can do what all four Beatles have done on Abbey Road and more. Obviously, this is the first part of the song, the We're So Sorry segment. This was apparently written as a conceptual apology to the older generation. Oh, that twangy guitar as well that we're about to hear. Oh, it's just so good. It's so perfect and it fits the song it's so sorrowfully. It's so downbeat, you know. You can physically hear it sound melancholically. We're about to hear Storm Clouds soon as well. Paul throws every trick in the book in the studio with this song. You know, this Uncle Albert character that we've been introduced to, that's apparently been wronged. He's now in this dark, rainy environment. You know, it's all these subtle suggestions from Paul that send your mind racing in a million directions. Even here now with the sound of the phone ringing and Paul uh, announcing it in that oh-so-very-British accent is just such an inventive and creative concept. Like, this is so, again, the opposite of McCartney 1. I can't stress that enough. And this is definitely something I always try and imitate every time I sing along. Uncle Albert. After mentioning it in our original Ram episode, I actually went out and sought out Keith West's Ballad of a Teenage Dream. And if you listen to that song, you only have to hear it for 30 seconds to know exactly how this song was inspired by that kind of shifting type of pop, you know, mel uh, melodrama. And with those highly dramatic bashing of piano keys, we have the Admiral Halsey hands across the water part of the song. And this is basically one of my favourite modes of McCartney, which is the rule Britannia mode, where an, even an unpatriotic, ungrateful scrub like myself actually gets a lump in the throat and just ends up thinking, man, it's great to be British, isn't it? I mean, this album is going to have issues with, like, pandering Americana for me, so to have songs like this with butter pies, admirals and kettles on the boil really does rub my British Empire gland wonderfully. Oh, the, the lyricism is just, you know, going from oddball silliness here to just full-on surreal and abstract. Like, it stopped making sense ages ago, and now if you're just trying to pay attention to that kind of stuff, rather than just go with this wonderful vibe, then you, you are, you are, you are getting it lost. Also, in the episode with Ken Michaels that I've already mentioned, he, we talked about, you know, how stream of consciousness lyrics can be good in some songs and bad in others. Why is it bad when Paul does it on Press to Play, for example? Well, I'll use the example I used with Ken there. Here, again, it's that this song is good. The reason Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey works as a stream of consciousness track and other ones on, on Press to Play don't is just that this is a great song. Of course, the Hands Across the Water segment here is also one of the only parts that Lennon ever mentioned liking and I just love that even he couldn't resist how catchy this stuff is. 
course, this song as well also featured in Only Fools and Horses in the episode He's Not Heavy, He's My Uncle, where Uncle Albert goes missing and they, and they play the We're so sorry, Uncle Albert stuff. And it's, it, it fits so well. And the moment I saw the phrase Uncle Albert, I was immediately thinking of the character of Uncle Albert Trotter in Only Fools and Horses. You know, he's such a classic British character for a guy like me. And in the early days of the Paul or Nothing podcast, I was also simultaneously doing an Only Fools and Horses podcast. So the, so the idea that Paul had a song in an Only Fools episode was just so <laughs> serendipitous for me. And rounding off the first half of Ram, we pick things back up again with the rambunctious Smile Away. Again, we're carrying on strong with the raucous rock vibe here that we've got going on this album with a, another decidedly strong riff there that, that, we, that we can hear. And I just have to reinforce what a fantastically unique experience this is so far. Like We've had some of the more ballady stuff just before and the more experimental stuff, but Paul's never going to rock this consistently and this hard again. And it's just so exciting to hear him actually put his money where his mouth is and try to create something that he knows is going to match or top John and George's guitar output. The guitar tone in, and sound in this song is just so satisfying here, especially in the, in, the, in the solos. Like There's a real dirtiness to it, but it still has that familiar McCartney brightness that you need to keep it light and cheerful. That being said, Silliness is inherently a McCartney staple, and the bouncing doo-wop backing vocals of the bow ba da da do da bow ba da da do da performed by Linda actually is such an enjoyably sing-alongable counterpart to the main part of the song with those very upfront main vocals and an aggressive guitar. Like the, the fact that like the fact that there is a potentially very hard rock track that is trying to make its way out into the world here, but it has Paul McCartney and his childlike exuberance bringing it down and not allowing it to get too heady or serious is so entertaining for me and it's actually some really good sequencing because you know like I said we've had Dear Boy and Uncle Albert and to go back to the genuine harder stuff would have just been a little bit too jarring so to have one of these rockers that's you know more light-hearted where you can hear Paul having fun around in the studio is the perfect way to keep up the positive vibe on an album like this. Like, I'm so excited to, to go to side two now. On Ramon, we, we discussed how many of these tracks whisk you off to Scotland, but this album also now is transported me back to my time at university when I was first getting into Paul and I can distinctly remember playing this album over and over again. Obviously there were a lot of inebriation moments during those vinyl evenings as Ram is, on top of all its other accolades, one of the greatest stoner rock albums of all time as well. This is also the first of two songs that would appear during the Wings Over the World tour as we detailed in our Live Over Groningen episode. And even though I adore those live versions, it is here with the studio version that my heart and loyalties will always lie. Like yeah, all the Wild Love stuff did sound a lot better live on that tour, but the Ram stuff has and always continued to sound superior as it does on this record. Oh, Paul is just letting it rip here. 
Like people always say, oh, he's the pop guy, he's the middle of the road guy, and Ram just dispels that entirely. You know, you've got Ram here showing that Paul is a hard rocker. You've got McCartney too that's showing that that Paul is anything but boring and safe. There are so many key albums like this that just entirely make up my entire perception of what is good McCartney. And now we come to the end of side one of my vinyl disc there. I have to turn it over now, like you had to do back in the day, children. The vinyl disc has now to be physically moved. But, like last time, I suppose it's the time for us to think now, what would we all have thought back in 1971 had we had just gone out and bought Ram for the first time just like that? How would we have reacted? Would you be as excited for side two as I am now? I hope you are, because we're about to go right now. Kicking off side two incredibly strong, and of course we have Heart of the Country, which, along with Ramon, should be fairly high up in every McCartney fan's roster of all-time greatest songs. We've already spoken on this episode about brevity and simplicity, but this song also has both of those qualities in spades. Its lyrics are easy to follow, and Paul's wicked, boingy bass leads us through these lush, rolling hills once again. We're now back in Scotland very instantly, and I can't help but smile for the whole entire song's run. I mean, the title sells it all, doesn't it? This is one of those, it's exactly what it says on the tin kind of songs, and we're going to get all sorts of McCartney country folk songs over his career, but like the album Ram itself, he just hit that concept right out of the park from the get-go and everything from hence on, for me at least, is going to be compared to Heart of the Country. And how could all those songs not be? This is the single most wholesomely endearing track on this entire album. You know, it has that true McCartney universality for me whereby you can see it as a children's song, a granny song, a folk song, a country song, or, as good friend of the show Tom Quee always mentions whenever I talk to him about this album, the greatest stoner song ever. I mean, come on, who hasn't, or doesn't, in this industrial concrete world at some point in their life, decided that they wanted to escape to the country, be it temporarily or permanently? The guitar in this song is also very underrated, especially the electric played by McCracken here. And if you listen to the song with a good pair of headphones, you really get to pick up on his additions on this track. And they're just so mellifluous and chilled out. It's just, it fits the song so well. Like, like I've said, I love McCracken's work on this album. For anyone with a vague knowledge of Paul around 1970-71, the autobiographical nature of this song becomes very apparent. You know, Rather like Lennon's own help, hides a darker truth to the song beneath the upbeat nature. You know, it doesn't change my affections toward this song, but it's, but it's important to know that Paul really did want to escape that hectic lifestyle and get a good night's sleep, which he does get at the end of the song, which is a nice little arc that he rarely ever does as well. And then we're going to come on to the real cream of the crop with Monkberry Moon Delight. And whilst long-time listeners might remember that I used to call this out and out my favourite Macca track, that was before Goodnight Tonight entered my life, and I may, th th this may indeed be second place. But I'm only going to talk about positives about this track, because either way, it's still the best track on this album. 
and it's the best song about the Beatles breakup. Like, wow, wow, eat your heart out, mate. This is my jam. Like, if I didn't have to worry about copyright law, I would gladly have us just sit here and listen to the whole damn song. But you're gonna have to settle for me here. Of course, this was the first song written for the sessions right after the breakup of the Beatles had been finalised and the inherent drama, emotion, chaos and turmoil is just so effectively thrown into the pot that we are hearing now. You know, just from the sound you can tell that Paul is a little bit off, a little bit different this time around and you know, things aren't okay. Which, when you consider that the lyrics are just a collection of words that supposedly Paul thought just sounded good together and that, you know, he was just trying to find the best words to fit the shouting and the screaming that he wanted to do, um, you know, that, that perfect phoneticism, then since you don't have to worry about the words, he gets to express his full emotive anguish here in all of its frantic, bombastic glory. Paul's voice here is something that has just drawn me back over and over here. Like, you can really hear that. Not only is he just, just going for it, but he's taking that that little Richard Howe to the next logical, or maybe illogical step, where it's just this shriek and he's running wild with it. Speaking of the lyrics, though, maybe I'm thinking too much here, but, like, maybe Paul was refraining from writing about a song directly about the Beatle breaking, you know, rather than being too on the nose. And these nonsense lyrics could be an attempt at self-censorship, you know. Could this song have been Paul's own How Do You Sleep At Night? What I've always appreciated here on Ram is just the variety of writing styles that Paul is using. You know, we've had those Keith West style multi-part tracks, straight up rock anthems, we've had stream of consciousness, we've had sing-along folk songs. And now, Paul, with, with this kind of uh, phonetic nonsense lyrics, shall we say, Paul is just giving us the variety that only the Beatles could offer and that none of the solo Beatles are ever going to hope to achieve. You know, the breadth of genre being as well produced as it all is across the board um, just makes Ram a runaway success. You know, you, he, he throws so many ideas at you and yet and yet you were able to, 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 to pick it all up the first time and still want to go back and listen to it a second time. Look, I cannot get enough of this track. Again, with Paul's vocals here, we're getting some more of that painted McCartney silliness that just keeps all lively and spirited in that, in that schoolboy sort of way, just going off the rails. The same can be said for Linda's spot on little ba 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 w. Again, being instantly catchy, and it works within the, the limitations of her vocal range. It's very inclusive of, of him and very sweet to have her on this song, especially on the Beatles' breakup song. It's kind of poetic in that sense. Though it's probably not hard for Paul to write Linda vocals, I think he was doing the same for Ringo's vocals for all those years. There are two great covers of this song that I do want to shout out. The first, as you may have guessed, is the Screaming Jay Hawkins version, which is a cover that just makes so much sense. And then there's the insane cover that I found on YouTube that I will link down below by Club Helmbrecker featuring Rylan Ramhain and oh, it's so good. And the fact that he's called Ramhain obviously didn't go over my head. Oh, Paul is just squeezing every last 
bit of value out of, out of this lick and this groove, and it's so worth it. Like, if you think that McCartney strays into indulgence a bit too much on this album, then I kind of get that. But since I just find all of, all of these songs so appealing that I'm, I'm not going to deny having more of them. That little bit there, that, that, that little back and forth always remind me a bit of the ending little bit of Hey Bulldog as well, where Paul and John talk to each other as well, but I'm not sure how many of you think the same there. And that was Monk Very Moon Delight. Oh, it's, oh, it's so good. And he's not going to slow the pace of this album down at all here. We're going to go right into another delightfully gruff and rough guitar riff here as we're going to leap into Eat at Home. And this is the second of the songs from these sessions that would one day accompany Wings on their first European tour. However, again, Paul's experimental mastery of the studio at this point and Linda's polished vocals that you hear here, you know... He's just so crisp and clear, and he's able to do so many things that Wings could never do that. Of course, this is the superior cut. Obviously, we've got to get around to addressing the meme of this song and that how it's apparently it's about Paul licking a lot of Linda lips, if you know what I mean. And I'm you know, and talking about the ones on her face. And I'm sure you do. But yeah, I think this is just the best song we're ever going to get on the subject of Cullinigus. And not just from Paul, but from anyone. And may I say... I do love that Paul put so much energy and exuberance into this song as it reflects, I hope, the attitude he must have for partaking in such an activity though. In all seriousness though, I have to further my ranting on how relatable this album is because who doesn't love just staying in with their loved one and having a fun day together in all manner of ways? Of course, not all of these methods of having fun are necessarily sexual, but come on. Even just the idea of staying in bed with your loved one and watching TV or eating is just one of the best things that life has to offer. Then, of course, on a more crass and crude note, we have the most relatable part of the song that would, you know, be resonant with every single listener, I hope. Who doesn't love eating pussy? Yeah, Paul, I can totally get behind a song that extols the enjoyability of going down on someone. There's no shame to it. What, you want to sit here and go, ooh, no, I would never do that? Nah, fuck that. This is my podcast, and I say eating pussy is awesome. Go for it, Paul. As well as being the opening for the Wings Over Europe tour, Eat at Home is also the second song on the Bruce McMahon show, which is an episode that is going to be coming very soon. But yeah, in that concert film, you were treated to this song with the most gorgeously vibrant HD footage. You know, it's Wings 2.0 really giving this song the business. And possibly one of the reasons I feel that Wings might do Eat at Home a little better than they do Smile Away on that tour is that Eat at Home is just performed here by Paul and Linda. You know, this is a Paul and Linda album and it's great that we actually have just a Paul and Linda song. But Wings guitarists Denny and Hugh have no need to attempt to try and recreate Humor Kraken or Dave Spinoza's specific styles here. This is just out and out Paul. I love that. In terms of Linda here though, this is a wonderful continuation of the more ambitious and advanced harmonies that Paul is going to be coaching her through on this album. 
Like, you know, we haven't got to the point where we have Denny or Eric Stewart to round it all out, but Linda has already proven herself to be a key element of this new post-Beatles McCartney sound. Moving on to the real penultimate track of this album, that's not just a reprise, with Long Haired Lady. Again, another top tier McCartney song, with an incredibly simple premise. Yeah, you know, it may be a little heteronormative, but even a guy like me who digs the old pixie cut and the occasional bald chick, who hasn't fallen for or been attracted to in some capacity to someone with long hair before? So, this is supposedly the first part of the two-halved long-haired lady song. This is the long-haired lady part, and the more I think about it, I do prefer the first halves of both this and Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. You know, both start off with a very strange, very surreal set of material, before then moving on to a more palatable sing-along closing half. And I'm not going to shit on the Love Is Long part of this track or anything, but it is going to be indicative of Paul's freedom now as a solo artist to instantly switch to a, you know, a reliable McCartney melody at the drop of a hat whenever he feels like it. Not that Macca's copying out or anything. You know, looking at this song as a whole, one of the most engaging parts of its makeup is that not only does it you know, kind of keep you on edge and attentive with its shifts, but the contrast between all of these mini movements just makes for a more interesting texture, you know, to, to the song. Like, for once, Macca has been consistently subverting expectations for so long on an album that now that even when he goes back to a regular McCartney mode, that in itself kind of becomes exciting and refreshing. I think I mentioned back on the original episode, but the use of the phrase long-haired lady, as plain as it sounds, is most likely Paul's way of stripping away any of the over-the-top melodramatic language that he's known for and instead he's trying to be as earnest and direct about his genuine feelings for this woman and I really dig that. The dreamy otherworldly guitar that we're going to get here from Hugh McCracken just there is never really you know listed in his top contributions on this album but his work is just so what makes Ram what Ram is that 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 rough yet ethereal style just fits exactly what McCartney was going for here. Then, in a bout of almost schizophrenic brilliance, Paul is going to move on to the second part of the song here, in the Love Is Long segment. But then, the well, well, well bit comes back later also, so it, it's not like it, there's a clean split. Uh, I think it's just more di- digestible to say that this song comes in two parts. But if I quote Luca Perez's book here, the Paul McCartney recording sessions, he breaks the song down as thus. The call and answer intro, bridge, break, two verses, refrain, two verses, refrain, coda, introduction, bridge, and coda. So yeah, very, very easy. Obviously, this song is not not quite as uh, simple to break down as something like, say, Winter Rose Love Away that is just split in twain. You know, this song being the other major Keith West-inspired multi-part song. It's just finely cementing, uh, not just for me, but I hope for all of you, that in 1971 here, in terms of what any Beatle alone can do in the studio, 
Paulie's just leaving them all in the dust. He's nearly as prolific as George here, he's really as edgy as John here, and I think that is just the sweet spot. So many people must have heard this song and been either attracted to a long-haired person or with a long-haired person and instantly associated with this song with them. I'm sure many of you out there have as well. I just wanted to take the time on a longer song like this though, just to reiterate why Ryan is the best album. And you need not look any further than the early Wings era because it is just dominated by awesome Wings cold cuts. I Lie Around is my favourite Wings B-side and my favourite Denny Lane song. Little Woman Love, which was the B-side for Mary Had a Little Lamb uh, from these sessions, is, is another B-side that I really have an affinity for. Little Lamb Dragonfly is arguably the true standout for Red Rose Speedway, Over My Love. Uh, Dear Friend is the standout for Wildlife. And even two of the tracks for side one of Red Rose Speedway, um, aka Big Bar and Bed and Get On The Right Thing, both have their origins in these sessions. You know, Ram is not content with just being the best album for this year. It's going to be the best album's worth of material for the next couple as well. Mama's Little Girl, a song from the Ram Sessions, would end up as the B-side for Put It There in like 86 or something like that as well, which is just crazy to think about. No, sorry folks, um, just looked that up. That came out in 1990. <laughs> Man looks something up on computer to fill up time for a song that is very long. But yeah, that was Long-Haired Lady wonderfully transitions here into a reprise that I didn't expect the first time I heard this album. Uh, with that whimsical whistling, we are cued into the reprise of Ramon, Welcome Back Ramon. Again, it wouldn't be a true Paul McCartney album without a reprise on it now, would it? But yeah, this is just really beautiful. Of course, it is just an extended cut of Ramon. And in terms of sequencing here, basically this is just going to serve uh, you know, to give us a bit of breathing room between the two huge closing numbers. And then of course if you listen carefully just here, you might hear a bit of Big Barn Bed. And last but certainly not least, rounding off Ram, we have the backseat of my car. And once more, Paul is writing this passionate pool of songs that actually connects with people on a bass level. Sorry to go on about this, folks, but uh, I'm really feeling it on this listen. This, this time it's about teenage love and running away, and that might be more superficial of the experiences that this album has to offer, but it's the closer, and you kind of want just something simple and powerful to cap things off on that high note. Though, just as we're getting into this track, one, one thing I, I do want to point out again, you know, is just how quickly this album's flown by. 
I mean, it's a fairly standard length for a McCartney album, but for me, this 43 minute or so experience feels only like 30, 35 minutes. And even then, those 35 minutes have flown by. But that's just what happens when you are gifted with so many consecutive hit Paul McCartney numbers. I do remember instantly liking this song from the very first few times I heard this album when I bought it on vinyl. And whilst it might, and whilst it may not reach the complex grandiosity of Uncle Albert or Long-Haired Lady, it still boasts the same level of, you know, grandiose full speed Paul McCartney in the studio production. Like this has all the bells and whistles. And yeah, it's indulgent, it's over the top, and and I love it. On that note as well, I remember when, when, I, when I first read the title of this song on the back of the album, even before I knew about the subtext of Eat at Home, I already thought that there was going to be more of a cheeky double entendre focus with this song. Um, but no, the girl or Linda is simply sitting in the backseat of my car. And again, since learning of High High High, I am surprised that the song didn't go into that direction, especially considering how the song explicitly mentions how the father figure believes that making love is wrong, and how orgiastic, and how orgiastic this ending is. After I did the original episode, I did actually discover that this was yet another song that McCartney had been shopping around as a potential track for the Beatles' Get Back slash Let It Be project. And like Harrison's All Things Must Pass, I can only imagine what the final album would have sounded like if this had been included. It always made sense to me though that this is a Linda song, you know, because Paul never stopped viewing her as his girlfriend, you know, he's directly quoted as saying that. So writing them as a pair of teenagers in this melodramatic romance was always fitting as far as I was concerned. And you know, Paul is drawing inspiration from a literal teenage opera, the Keith West song, so I can see maybe where he may have been inspired by such a raw and rich, uh, fertile writing ground. Because the, the most important thing for me with, with this track, and Paul is just demonstrating it right now, is it's just how cinematic and immensely emotional the song is. Ram, not content with having enough Macatropes, obviously caps it off here with one of my all-time favourites, which is the triumphant, my god, over-the-top, ridiculous, climax-in-your-ear ending. McCartney's vocal here, as we close, is, you know, just so much fun to listen to. Like, he's just cutting loose with that early 70s roar, very, maybe I'm amazed, you know. And there we are folks, just as that song is coming to a close, I'm going to take my needle off the disc. Again kids, that's something you actually had to do back in the day. But now once more it's time to reflect. 
Time to wonder and speculate once again just what bad, ineffective or twisted spiked drugs people must have been taking back in 1971 not to have immensely enjoyed this album upon release. Like, there are a million of you out there that could easily pretend that they had liked Ram all along and could see it for what it was, but there must be one of you out there brave enough to drop me an email at paulmccartneypod.gmail.com to admit the truth. Admit the truth and explain yourself. Anyway, enough of that. You just heard 1971's Ram by Paul McCartney, and at the same time, you just listened to another edition of Listen with Sam. I, of course, was Sam, and thank you so much for joining in. I hope you've enjoyed the show and have relished in the opportunity to revisit this particular album as much as I have. Thank you for your support, everyone. Thank you for listening and downloading this episode. Uh, Lots of stuff has been recorded this week. Uh, It's been my week off work, so expect lots of content over the next coming weeks. Pops of Peace Part 1 will be the next episode you will hear. I promise you that. That is ready to go. Of course, if you want to get in contact with the show or give me your Paul McCartney story, your particular Macca tale, uh, drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Twitter, of course, which is at McCartneypod. Check out our blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Leave us a five-star iTunes review. Find us on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. And of course, finally, if, if you want to consider supporting the show, if you'd like to ever buy me a coffee or a drink sometime for the work I do here, then consider supporting us on our Patreon page down below where people are supporting the show for as little as $1 a month, $2, $5 a month, anything just to help keep the, the lights running on the show, help get new equipment, and maybe even get some new guests or different exciting content in the in the future you know our our upcoming bruce mcmouse episode for example was paid for with money from the patreon as was our episode on mark lewison's hornsey road as i bought the ticket for that show with patreon funds as well thank you all so much folks this has been paul or nothing listen with sam side series one of our 80 million little side series denny lane has probably already been playing us out for some time by now peace and love peace and love keep listening to paul Play us out, Denny. <laughs> <laughs>